0: You are listening to the podcast from Hill Country Baptist Church in Junction, Texas. Today's message is from Genesis chapter 3, in which we continue our year of biblical literacy by talking about how the world went from good to bad in a moment. Our discussion today centers on good versus evil and how to combat it in our lives. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning again to everybody. We're going to be in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis this morning as we continue with our year of biblical literacy. I hope that you've been enjoying your scripture reading um, for this uh, throughout our, our, the beginning of this year so far. It's, um, it's cool just to think that we're only in the second month of the year and we're already at Leviticus chapter 20, right? And so we've gotten through a large chunk of the first part of the Pentateuch um, that first five, five books of the Bible. And and I, I don't know about you, but for me, I talked about this in Sunday school earlier. I just feel like it's it's like going through the scriptures chapter by chapter has kind of developed in me this greater hunger and interest and curiosity about the word of God, which I think was always part of the goal, right? So like I wanted us, and I talked about this on day one, week one, I don't want us to go through the year and just say, okay, we did it. We have read the Bible throughout a whole year and we read from page, from front to back, read the whole thing. It's a great accomplishment. Let's move on, right? What's next? But like to be able to say, yes, we read it. And you know what? what we found along the way is like, we don't understand all of it. And it doesn't, some of it doesn't make any sense, but we loved it and we enjoyed it and we grew and it shaped our lives and we're different now than we were at the very beginning of the year, right? So when we end in December of this year, and that's crazy to think about that we're going to be in this journey until the end of this year, right? But when we end, I hope and I pray that that's going to be your response. that you can honestly say, I am different in December of 2020 than I was in January when we first started reading the Bible because the Word of God has changed me. Um, and there are so many different ways that's going to happen. So... One way is that it it shows you just the messiness of life, even a life of following God, right? But then even in the midst of that, God still shows love and mercy and grace and compassion, which then just kind of assures you of how much he loves you, and that's going to change you, right? But then another way is that it's going to help clarify some of the strangest parts of the Bible that you've ever read in your life. And you're going to make more sense of them, even if you don't fully understand them. But you'll be able to say, you know what? I get that now. I think I get it, right? And it, it starts to make a little more sense to me. And so your relationship with the Word of God and your understanding is going to change, right? But then I, the ultimate thing is that your, your love for the Word of God is going to change. Um, because, you know, there are a lot of people who, who kind of treat this book as, as if it's just like this dull, lifeless thing. And it's got a bunch of rules in it. And it tells us what we can and cannot do. <laughs> And it's pretty much it, right? So we'll read it at church and then put it over here or leave it in the car and try to find it whenever it's time to use it again, right? Or there are some people who are like Bible hoarders. They're collectors of them, you know, like they have like 20 of them in their house, right? And I think I have like eight of, of them in my house and also in the office. Um, so, but there are some who are just kind of like, yeah, it's so cool. It's such a good book. But then they don't really ever read it. Like they admire the Bible, but it doesn't really mean anything to them. Does that make sense? And we don't want it to be like that. So we want to to develop this love and affection for it and a desire for it that even after we've read the whole thing in a year, we can say, but there's still more that I want to know about it, right? So I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread and I'm going to keep reading and keep growing because there's just so much more there that I want to discover. Um, So so that's kind of uh, what our journey is all supposed to be about. So we are, like I said, in Leviticus, in our scripture reading for the week, um, in my teaching series here, um, I'm just now in Genesis 3 still, right? So we're going to jump quite a, quite a bit um, from here after the next few weeks. But today, page 3 or chapter 3 of your Bible is where we're going to be, and we're going to talk about how everything went from, bad, or from good to bad really quickly. How everything went from good and perfect and beautiful and paradise to evil and darkness and corruption and death and decay and and what that means for us today, right? So I think that it's really easy if I were to give you a chart like this and all it had was just good, just one column said all just good, right? And I told you, look at your life and look at the world and look at all of your experiences and just start making a list of all the good that exists all around you, right? We could probably put a lot of things there, right? Um, So like at the top would be coffee. That'd be good, right? Good coffee. Have you been to the, honey? uh, what is it called, the honey bean? Oh man, that's that's some good, it's expensive, but it's good coffee, right? So coffee, good. I have it like five times a day, okay? Um, Food, who else loves food but me? Especially Mexican food, right? Yes. Um, And so uh, music, you like music. I like to listen to music. Uh, My kids like to listen to music. They like the most weird, like the weirdest musical taste that you can ever imagine. Uh, Jude was like dancing off to like everybody dance now yesterday. That song, you know, it was really cool. So anyway, we, those are good things, right? Family um, rest, sleep. You like to take naps, right? Sleep is good when you can have it. Children are mostly good. Um, Sometimes having children is good. There are lots of good things in our lives, right? Um, And then we have good experiences, right? So like Let's be all sappy for a moment and think about when your kids were born and how that was a good experience and you had tears in your eyes and you were so proud. And then, right, so like you have good experience. You got married, right? Um, that's a good experience. Um, the, so, so good things happen. Your birthdays come around, holidays. Uh, your favorite football team makes it to the Super Bowl, whatever, right? Like You have good experiences in life. And then you can fill that chart in with like all the good things that happen out in the world, right? So there are people doing good things in the world, right? There are people who are feeding people and dealing with hunger and starvation in other parts of the world. Um, There are humanitarian organizations who are giving clean water to countries or people or villages who have no clean water. Um, There are people going all across the world on medical trips and healing people and and providing medicine. Um, There are researchers trying to figure out a cure for cancer and and all those things like there is good happening in the world. Right. Um, We see good happen even after bad things happen. So like peace treaties and the ending of wars and things like that. There's a lot of good that exists in the world. We can go on and on and on. Right. So if you look at the first two chapters of the book of Genesis and you end the story there and then you look at that compared to the good things that we see in the world, that all makes sense, right? Days one through six, God made this good world. He said, it's good, it's good, it's good. The the sixth day came, chapter one, he makes man, he puts him in the garden, he says, now it's very good. Right, Chapter two kind of just kind of reiterates the story um, that that man was there walking through the garden. It was perfect paradise. God gave him all this food to eat. Um, He says, now I want you to go and name all the animals. And so Adam gets to go do that. And then God says, you know what? It's not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. And so out of the goodness of God, he gave him a good gift by giving him a wife. All of the husbands say, amen. Our wives are good gifts to us. Right. Um, On good days, they are. And That's right, Blue, say it. Say amen. <laughs> yeah. and, and so things just keep getting better, right? I mean, so now they're married and they have this life together and everything's good. And God says, this is great. It's a good world, good humanity. I mean, like they have fellowship with me and I get to walk with them and things are good. And if we close the book there and then we look at our world, we say, OK, yeah, that makes sense, right? Like there's good and, and we have marriage. It's good. And we have kids. It's good. And life is good. And we can be positive and happy. But then we have a problem, don't we? Because then we look at the other side of the chart and then these things come up, right? Because the reality is there isn't only good that exists in the world right now, is there? There's also a lot of bad. There's a lot of evil, right? So while it's true, this verse is true, James chapter one says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of Lights, and we can say, okay, yeah, there's good all around us, and all those good things come from a good God, right? But the other thing is also true, that at the same time, and and often occupying the same space, there's evil in the world, isn't there, right? So while there are people who are traveling across the world to go provide clean water, the reality is there are children drinking dirty water and getting sick and dying. And to us, that's bad right? It's evil. And, and while there are, are people who are going across the world to help refugees who are fleeing from their countries in Syria, things in Iraq, the other reality is, why are they fleeing? Because of war and terrorism, right? And, and so the other thing is, while it's good that people are sending humanitarian aid down to Mexico and trying to help people out of poverty, the other side of that is, but then there's drug cartels and violence and murder and corruption, right? And evil, and, and so while there's, also, while there's good going on, there's also evil going on, evil going on all around us. There are people searching for a cure for cancer, and yet I think we can all agree that cancer is evil, right? And there's this struggle between good and between evil, even in our lives, right? Even in our lives. So we can enjoy lots of good things, but then also we can be ourselves pretty guilty of some bad things, can't we? So we can be sipping that really tasty coffee while we just cuss someone out and committed an act of evil in a way, right? Or we can be enjoying that plate of tacos from Tia Nenas while we're also hating our brother, right? Or wishing that somebody would die. That's pretty pretty intense, right? But there's also evil that you and I can be guilty of. If you look back over your life and you take an inventory of the things that you've been through, Is it true that a large majority of the negative circumstances that you've experienced in your life come from your choices, right? Come from our choices, our bad choices. We've all made some poor choices. And when you really look at those poor choices, we don't just think, oh, well, that was maybe a lack of judgment, right? But a lot of times that was just pure sin and rebellion and rejection of what God wanted for us, right? And that led to some pretty negative consequences. You and I can be good people, but we can also be pretty bad people, right? And when I say that, I'm not, I'm not here, I'm not looking at murderers and bank robbers and people who kidnap other people, right? I'm looking at pretty decent people, right? I mean, we live in Junction, Texas. It's a, it's a nice town. You guys are nice people, but I'm saying we all have that tendency to commit acts of evil, right? Even on smaller scales. You think about things like anger and hatred and lust and lack of forgiveness resentment, seeking vengeance, gossip, right? Those are all acts of evil. And our column there can be just as full as the other column. And that's the problem. Because that doesn't really fit with Genesis 1 and 2. Like if you, if you only look at the first two chapters, you have to wonder, where did all of this come from, right? And that's where Genesis 3 comes in. So when you look at Genesis 3, it's, it's really crazy how this one chapter changes everything. And from that time on, everything in the world goes back to that moment right there. Every, every other thing that God does from that moment forward goes back to what Adam and Eve decided to do in Genesis chapter 3, right? So think about this. There were only two chapters of pure perfection. And the rest, the other, the, the rest of the book and the other 66 books of the Bible are all about God putting the pieces back together, right? So we talked about last week, God made a good world. He made this beautiful, perfect world, and he made it for the purpose of giving it as a gift to mankind. So God's creation is a demonstration of his love for us, right? God made a good world out of love for us. That's what Moses wants to point out as he's writing this story. But then he points out, but look at what mankind did with that, right? So so look how crazy this is, that God showed his massive amount of love for mankind by giving them this beautiful world, Right, with, there was nothing wrong with it at all. And then, chapter 3, look at what they did in response to that. When they could have made the choice to enjoy that forever, they instead chose to throw it all away. So let's look at Genesis 3. We're going to answer a few questions about the evil that exists in the world and in our lives. Number one, we're going to answer where did it come from? Why does it even exist? Okay. Number two, how do we handle it? How should we respond to that? What do we do about it right now? And number three, ultimately, what is God's plan to deal with it? What is God intending to do with the evil that exists in the world? So chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Okay, stop right there. Because already, this is weird, right? So if you're following along with our scriptures, you're, re- you're, um, you're reading our, our Read Scripture app. You're also watching some videos from the Bible Project, right? And he covers lots of the big themes from scripture. Tim Mackey is the creator of those videos. He's one of the animators and one of the narrators of those videos. He used to be a pastor in Portland. And he's no longer preaching because he does the videos and stuff full time. But he's got a podcast called Exploring My Strange Bible. You need to look it up on iTunes or whatever you use. Okay, Exploring My Strange Bible, in which he talks about all the strangest aspects of Scripture. And this is one of them. Where in the world did a talking snake come from and why is he there? Okay, Here's the, the short answer. It wasn't the snake that was evil. It was the power operating through the snake that was evil. For, for whatever reason, God chooses throughout Scripture to not give us the full story of where the devil came from, right? So there are, there are small little passages in the, in the Old Testament that, that maybe refer to the fall of Satan, the fall of Lucifer, okay? But there's no, like, dedicated passage where I can turn to and say, here's the story, this whole long story of where the devil came from, Right? For whatever reason, he's just there. He's already there, all right? And, and he chose a serpent to operate through. And so the, ser- the, the devil is speaking through a snake, right? So God did not create a talking snake. God made a serpent, and the devil possessed a serpent. Does that make sense? Okay, serpent, he's craftier than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, He comes and he says to the woman in verse uh, there in, in verse one, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there's the, the introduction to the struggle, good and evil. In Genesis chapter 2, God puts Adam and Eve in the garden. There are trees, there's fruit, there's, there's vegetation. And he says, listen, I'm putting two really important trees in this garden. Okay? One of them I want you to eat from. The other one, I don't even want you to touch it. I don't want you to eat of it. I don't want you to go near it. Just leave it alone, all right? He says there's the tree of life, all right? Imagine, though, if if Adam and Eve in chapter 3 had bypassed that talking snake and gone straight to the tree of life and eaten from that fruit, what would have happened? They would have lived forever, right? God says the tree of life is there to give you life, Eat from that tree. It'll enable you to live forever here in the garden, in paradise, in my presence. You'll have the life that I want for you. The tree of life is all about the people that God made experiencing the life that God wanted for them. But the other tree was also there. In the middle of the garden, there's the tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, And God says, don't eat from that tree. Because if you eat of it, you'll die. As soon as you eat that fruit, you will die. Now, what we're going to find out later is that God did not mean this like immediate physical death. Like it was a poisonous fruit, right? Like as soon as they took a bite, they just dropped dead right there in the garden, right? But what we're going to find out is that it it had to do with this spiritual death and this slow decay that was introduced into the world that did not exist before, right? So the kind of death that they would end up facing did not exist before they ate that fruit. So if you read the story and you you start to, to ask questions, because you should be asking questions as you're engaging with Scripture, you should always be asking yourself questions to discover more. Maybe one of the questions you ask is this. Why did the tree exist in the first place? Wouldn't it have been so much better if God never put that tree in that garden? If God never put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in that garden, then Adam and Eve would have never been tempted to eat it, then they wouldn't have eaten it, then they wouldn't have introduced sin into the world, and everything would be perfect, right? So why did God put the tree in the... Has anyone else ever wondered that? Because of the free will that he us to. Yes. Amen, now we can go home. <laughs> Preach it, Yvonne. <laughs> Absolutely. Here's the deal. And this is the gift of grace and mercy. When God was creating all the things, right? The animals, the birds, the fish, none of those things he said, uh, about none of them did he say, they are created in my image, right? Only one aspect of creation was made in God's image, mankind. And part of being in God's image, it means, yes, we have logic, we have the ability to reason, we have emotion, we are relational beings. We have all those aspects about our nature that other species and, and creation, creatures don't have, right? But one more thing that we have that makes us like God is the ability uh, to exercise morality and to decide and make our own choices, right? Right? So I have a dog who I swear is like out to ruin my life, all right? Because she will not stop scratching on the door every night. And she's annoying. And she wants in and she wants out. And she wants in and she wants out. And she's old, right? So she has to go potty a lot, okay? But you know what I I, I cannot say about my dog? She's a bully and she hates me and she's mean and she's doing it because she wants to make me mad. She doesn't know any better, right? She's operating out of just her dog nature, all right? There's no morality with Lucy. She's not saying, Oh, I want to be bad today. When we open the front door and she runs out and goes wandering the neighborhood, it's not because she's a sinner, right? It's because she's just a Aaron says, yes, she is. She's just a dog, right? And that's what dogs do, right? If we're out in the backyard and Jude gets, you know, bit by an ant, it's not because the ant is being mean, it's because the ant is being an ant, right? Humans alone have the ability to exercise morality. We can make choices that animals can't make, right? Whether good or bad. And so that was one of the beauties of, one of the beautiful things about being made in God's image. God said, here's a tree, now you make a choice. You're gonna make a choice. You're gonna be faced with this choice. Are you gonna choose to love me and walk in my love and enjoy the life that I've given you? Or are you going to choose to disobey me and reject me and walk on your own path, right? The choice is yours, and it was risky, wasn't it? God was taking a chance. It was a risky thing to allow mankind to have free will. But it's one of the beautiful things about us being made in God's image is that God gave us that free will. One of the problems, or one of the sources of the problems in our world today and why that column can be filled up comes back to man's free will. So much of the evil that exists in our world today comes back to man's choices, right? And it started with this choice right here. So chapter three, going back to our text, the devil is tempting her, calling into question what God really said about it. And then it says in verse six, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, here she is deciding uh, for herself what is good and what is not good. Because listen, God said that's not good. Don't eat of that, right? She's here deciding, you know what? I think it is good, okay? And that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It all came back to them exercising that free will by choosing to reject God. Here's what it boils down to. God says, listen, here's your choice. You can either... Trust my definition of good and evil and trust my goodness, right? And believe me when I tell you what is good and what is not good, you can either trust me on that and just enjoy the life that I've made for you, or you can take matters into your own hands and decide for yourself what is good and what is evil and make your own definitions. And hasn't that been the case for humanity ever since? Because of this decision here, isn't that still so common today? That people decide for them, they they try to decide for themselves what is good and what is evil, right? They take things that God says are evil and wrong, they say, Well, I mean, it's not that bad, right? Like when God says, You should not lie. Be honest, tell the truth, don't lie. And people say, Well, I mean, there are times when it's maybe okay to lie a little bit, right? Or when God says, Don't steal, and you say, Well, I mean, it's only bad if you get caught, right? Or don't commit adultery. Don't cheat on your wife or your husband. And you say, well, but they don't love me anymore. And I need love, right? And so people take what God specifically says is evil and say, but it can be good, right? And that's been the problem ever since Adam and Eve fell in the garden is they take God's definition. They say, I don't trust that definition. I'm going to define for myself what's good and what's evil. If it looks good for me, I'm going to try it. Can't be that bad, right? But what happens It says in verse seven, then the eyes of both were open. This is immediate, right? Their eyes were open, meaning they came to this realization of something that they never knew or understood before. They never realized it before, right? And primarily it was, hey, we don't have any clothes on and we feel shame, right? And so while they understood before, they didn't have any coverings on themselves. They were just like the animals, right? Wild and free. Um, Now that was a source of shame for them. And so it wasn't just the nakedness that was the problem. It was the shame inside of them that was the problem. That there was something getting at their conscience that made them realize we just messed up. We feel guilt. We feel shame. We feel we we know that we did something wrong. That was not supposed to exist in God's good world. Because mankind was supposed to always trust in God's definition of good and evil. So what did they try to do? And this has been, think about this, this has been what people have tried to do for ages ever since, right? So, so they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, right? So they're trying to turn into Tarzan and Jane or George of the Jungle or whatever you want to say, right? And they got loincloths now. They're in their, in their little garden paradise. Think about the fig leaves though. You take some leaves off of a tree, all right? Take them off the tree. You make a loincloth out of them. How long is it going to take before they get all crumbly and start falling off, right? They don't last very long. So their efforts at covering their sin were only temporary. They're trying to put a band-aid, a quick little band-aid on what they knew they did wrong. It was not a permanent solution. But they're trying everything they can imagine to cover their, their shame, right? And that's what people do today. We do it, don't we? We know that we do, have done something wrong and we try to cover it by, by all sorts of things, right? So, so number one, we justify it. Well, so-and-so made me do it because they made me mad, so I had to go off on them, Right? So we try to justify our sin by blaming other people or saying, well, they made me do it. If they hadn't provoked me, I wouldn't have acted that way, right? Or we, we, we make it seem like it's not that big of a deal, right? Well, there are other people who are doing far worse things than I'm doing, right? So it's not that bad. God still loves me. I'm still good. Or we just hide, right? So have you ever had that moment in your life where you've hidden from God because of your shame? <laughs> Because you're like, I can't, I can't go talk to God because I've, I know that I'm sinning. And if I go talk to God, I'm going to have to like confront him about that. And I'm not, ready to, I'm not ready to talk about that right now. right? So you hide that from God. Um, or you just flat out lie about it. right? So we've all been teenagers and we've all snuck around and lied about things to our parents. And there are probably things that your parents still don't know that you've done whenever you were a teenager. right? And you're probably never going to tell them. I understand. Take it to your grave. God knows. We cover things right and we it's like putting those fig leaves as loincloths that's not going to last it breaks down right it breaks down because there's really only one way to solve the problem of guilt and shame and that's by going to God so look at what how, how God handles the situation so we've answered the first question where does evil come from it comes from free will it comes from our choices it comes from uh from from Adam and Eve making a willful, conscious decision in the garden to trust in their own definition of good and evil and make their own way, right? That's where evil comes from. And how do we handle it is, what we don't handle it is uh, by, by, by trying to cover it, right? We handle it by letting God deal with it and confessing it to him. So it says here, "'They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden.'" But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? God knew exactly where Adam was, right? He knew that he was hiding. He could see everything. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? God's trying to draw out a confession from him. It's a very simple answer. Adam can't lie, right? I mean, I guess he could. He's already messed everything else up. But God's putting him on the spot. Did you eat of it or did you not? right? And the man said, well, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then the Lord goes on to pronounce this cursing upon the serpent and then tell the woman and the man their consequences for their sin, right? How we handle evil in the world, number one, is choosing not to partake of it, right? Choosing not to partake of it. We have to understand this. There are a lot of things in this world that are beyond our control. Okay? There are a lot of evil things in the world that you and I have no control over. You can't stand up today and say, I'm going to end terrorism right now. Okay? Right? You can't do that. Right? You can't say, I'm going to fly over to Afghanistan and I'm going I'm to end it all. Right? You cannot control that spread of evil in the world. Right? You can't say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do away with all the murderers in the world, right? I'm just going to get rid of all of them, okay? Because so, you can't do that. It's physically impossible. But what you can do is choose to turn away from the evil in your own life and the evil that's all around you. So we're in Leviticus in our reading, right? And, and God is giving the, the Israelites these commands. There were 6,636 commands that God gave to them rules to follow, statutes, observances, uh, all these systems. And, and the purpose of that was to make them a holy people. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, be holy because God is holy. That's what God wants for us, right? And holiness involves a refusal to partake in things that are evil or unclean. So you and I can make choices today that demonstrate our refusal to, to go along with things that are evil, right? So we can choose, for example, to forgive and to reconcile rather than having a grudge or having resentment or seeking vengeance on someone, right? We can choose to be faithful instead of choosing to commit adultery. We can choose to love and show kindness instead of having ha- anger or hatred or hostility in our hearts, right? We can choose to be honest and tell the truth instead of lying or deceiving or hiding things, right? Right? We can choose to to always be generous and to be giving and to love our neighbors rather than being selfish and only looking out for ourselves, right? So all these things over here are the evil column. Those are things that you and I can be guilty of on a regular basis. And yet God says, turn away from those things and be holy. That's how you preserve that that purity and you flee from those things that are evil, right? And and, uh, Paul tells Timothy very simply, flee youthful lusts. Right? So, so turn away from them and, and run away from them. Flee youthful lust. Don't let them be a part of your life. And you think about youthful lust, you think, well, that's, talking to timothy he's a young guy maybe he's talking about like when he was a boy and he used to like check out the girl down the street and things like that and stuff like that right but it's not just it it's talking about the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the boastful pride of life the love of the world the ambition for success uh, money power influence all those things are youthful lusts right and god says all those things are just going to corrupt you those things are just evil don't love all those things flee from those things pursue godliness pursue holiness That's how we handle the evil around us. We can't control all the evil out there. We can pray against it, and we should, right? We should pray against cancer and terrorism and murder and and sex trafficking and all sorts of... We should pray against those things that, that, that Jesus will come and put a stop to the work of the enemy all around our world, right? But you and I physically, as individuals, cannot stop those things. What we can stop is evil in here, in our lives, right? And so that's how we handle evil but the other thing is that when we realize that we're guilty of that we go to god we don't hide from him we don't try to cover our sins we go and we let him confront us and we confess and we repent and we let the consequences be what they are or what they're supposed to be right and we handle that but then i want us to answer the question ultimately what is god's plan because god has to have a plan right I mean, he, he, he's not okay with just the fact that, okay, they messed up. I guess there's evil in the world now. So much for that project, right? Let me go to another planet and make another one, okay? Because everything else that follows in the scriptures from this point onward has to do with this right here. Every I mean, literally everything else that you read from here to the end of the book is all a matter of God intervening into the world to change things and bring them back to the first two chapters. God has his mind on the first chapter of Genesis, and bringing the world and humanity back to that. And when you get to the book of Revelation and you read chapters 20 and 21, you're gonna see God bringing it full circle and God bringing us back to Genesis chapter one, a garden and a river and a tree and paradise and presence, the presence of God. But Genesis 3.15 is what I want you to see. Here's God's ultimate plan. As he's cursing the serpent, right? He says to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, I will put enmity or strife or contention between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, God says, listen, devil, one day, or for, for, from here on out, there's going to be strife between you and between humanity but I'm going to bring someone out of that humanity one day who is going to crush you, right? He says, I'm going to put strife between you and between that offspring of humanity that I'm going to bring one day. He's going to bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. There's going to be that battle, but he's going to crush you. And he's talking about Jesus. From this day forward, the people of God knew that this was a future reality. And they were always looking to see what God was going to do to finally crush that serpent and do away with all the darkness in the world. Later, the the, the people of Israel, they formed themselves as a nation. God forms them. They begin to have kings, right? We learned about this in one of the Bible Project videos. Um, And and so the kings rise to power. And and so the people of God begin to look to them and say, maybe they, maybe they're the ones who are going to finally crush the serpent and do away with all the evil, right? But then one after another, what happens with all those kings? We realize they have the same sickness that Adam and Eve had. They choose evil too. They define for themselves between good and evil. Even a a good one comes along. His name is David. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. They might look to him and they say, look, he conquered a giant. He's killed thousands. He's a great leader. He's awesome. He's following God. Maybe he's the hero. Maybe he's the the snake crusher, right? But then what happens with David? David. Commits adultery, has the woman's husband put to death on, by accident in war, right? Lies about all these things, covers it up. The baby's born, the baby dies. I mean, the, the story goes on. You realize he's not it either. But then he has a son. His name is Solomon. And Solomon is the wisest king that's ever lived. He, God said, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon doesn't ask for money or wealth or power. He says, God, I just want wisdom. I want to lead your people well. Right. And so God makes him a wise king, gives him riches, gives him wealth, gives him power. And maybe the people look to him and they say, maybe this is the one who God is sending to crush the serpent and do away with all the evil in the world. But then we get to the end of Solomon's life. And what do we see is true about him? Got 700 wives. He's worshiping all sorts of false gods. Right. Like he just he has the same sickness inside of him, too. It's not him, is it? So the kings go, they rise, they fall. The prophets come. They keep announcing someone is coming. Someone is coming, someone is coming. And then 400 years of silence. No more kings, no more prophets, no more word from God. And so one day a baby is born. And the angels come down when that baby is born. and They say, behold, we bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all the world. In the city of David, a savior has been born. And we understand that this savior is the snake crusher. He's the one who who God said is going to come one day and crush the serpent and do away with all the evil in the world, right? So Jesus lives, he performs miracles, he brings people back to life, he fights the devil, and then he dies on the cross. And you imagine that the devil is laughing, saying, so much for him crushing me, right? I got him, bruised his heel. I've won the victory. And then three days later, Jesus comes walking out of the grave. And you realize he really is the king and the savior and the medicine, right? He really is the snake crusher. But he's, he goes back to heaven and he's waiting. He's waiting right now at the right hand of God, sitting there at the right hand of God, looking over the earth, waiting for the father to tell him, now it's time for you to go back again and ultimately for good, do away with the evil, right? He's waiting. He's waiting. And one day the father will have had enough or somehow the quota will be met or something will happen and the father will say, now it's time. And the book of Revelation is so amazing. It tells us that Jesus is going to come back on a white horse, right? With like this sword in his mouth and like this weird tattoo on his thigh. And it's this amazing picture and he comes back and with just a word being spoken, all of his enemies are evaporated. The devil is chained up and thrown into the lake of fire forever. Forever right? Like, that's what we have to look forward to. That's God's plan to one day, once and for all, get rid of all the evil in the world. So until then, it's something that we have to deal with, isn't it? We've got to face it on a regular basis, but we don't let it overwhelm us, right? The Bible says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. That's what God wants, right? Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, one day, the love of God, the goodness of God is going to conquer evil forever and we'll be able to live in that paradise again where it doesn't exist anymore. That's God's ultimate plan. So let me challenge you this morning to just consider the forces of evil in your own life. Consider the enemy, the very real enemy who is on the, on the prowl, right? like The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's the the force of evil and he is attacking. He wants to steal your joy and your peace and your walk with God and destroy all those things, right? Don't give in to the darkness. Don't give in to the forces of evil. Let the goodness of God flow through your life and conquer that evil. Amen? Y'all stand with me. I'm gonna pray for us.